Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Brackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 Division I women's college tennis teams entering the 2023 season. And folks, not only do we have less than two weeks before the start of the college tennis year, but we've got just three teams left to preview. And of course, I will preface today's podcast as I've prefaced just about every show we've done over the course of the past month, every team we discuss the rest of the way here on this podcast, fully capable of raising the 2023 National Championship Trophy. As such, we've got a jam-packed podcast for all of you listeners today as we break down our number three preseason team on the women's side, the NC State Wolfpack. Of course, if we're breaking down another top 10 Division I women's college tennis team, you know who's going to join me on the show to help me do just that. He's the returning champion of returning champions here at Crack Rackets, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, of course, co-host of our weekly episodes of The Deciding Point. It's my dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. A little sneak peek behind the curtains for our listeners. We recorded our number four and three podcasts back to back to offer Jay a little bit of an actual vacation here to end his 2022. With that in mind, you're stuck with me for a second consecutive hour, my friend. You doing okay? I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. I got a little Christmas gift in between our two pods, and that is some no ad, no problem <laughs> merch. I'm drinking from my mug right now. My good friend Christina sent me a little bit of a celebratory gift to kick off um, the new year with the launch of this past year's no ad, no problem pod. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Very thoughtful gift, and I'm ready for our number three ranked team. I assume you're referring to Christina Roska, right? Like that's got to be the Christina who sent you that gift. <laughs> uh, I, she can send me gifts as well. Uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's, it is another Christina. I would say one of our, our faithful fans, um, but a, a very good friend and someone who is uh, very thoughtful in their uh, Christmas gift giving, I would say. I love to hear it. Yeah, I just assumed you must have offered a Roska take over the years. And so she returned the favor. No, uh, that's awesome. Shout out to Christina. Shout out to the mug. It looked very, very nice. It looks like it's extremely nice. It's 15 ounces. And, you know, I love my Diet Coke and LaCroix. So it works out well. (laughs) I was going to say, I couldn't tell if it was DC, if it was coffee. Maybe you threw a little Jameson in there because you're like, I got to deal with him for a second consecutive hour. It's going to be, you know, what is it? 120 plus minutes of Gruskin in any day is a lot for anyone to handle you know i'm i'm currently down here in florida it's my we're recording this obviously a little bit early but i've had the chance to spend some time with my family i was actually it was just me and my dad here to start and we reached the point last night where he was just like alex alex go work out like enough i don't need to i don't need these takes flying at me because typically we record our podcast late at night right and i try to get myself to peak at 10 p.m 11 p.m so that i have maximal energy maximum energy for all of you listeners i also know tc or t2 broadcasts i'm going to be doing are going to be late at night so i'm trying to teach my body to peak then and yeah, my dad's not having any part of it moving forward. So sadly, I'm going to have to channel that energy towards you, my friend. That said, boy, do we have a fun podcast for all of you listeners today as we break down 
our number three team, NC State. Now, perhaps while you listeners are listening to this show, there's already a 15-minute addendum that's been recorded. Maybe some huge piece of news broke or whatever it may be. Obviously, again, Jay and I recording a little bit in advance. But with that in mind, we're just going to get right into our number three team here on today's show. Again, the NC State Wolfpack, who are coming off of just an exceptional, the best, what, three-year run in program history. You can even go back to 2020, a year stopped short by the National Indoors. But as Jay knows, one of my favorite shtick, uh, stopped, excuse me, short by COVID right after the National Indoors. But as Jay knows, one of my favorite takes from that 2020 National Indoors is that UNC was unequivocally going to win the 2020 National Championship. UCLA was unequivocally the second best team in 2020. And then if you're asking me who was my third most impressive team at the 2020 National Indoors in Chicago, unequivocally, it was the NC State Wolfpack. And they have, you know, paid off, uh, have helped me, I suppose, solidify that take with their results over the past two years. Coach Earnshaw's team making the NCAA semifinals back in 2021, national indoor semifinalists in 2022. Ultimately, the team did get knocked off in the NCAA quarterfinals. But when you look at what this NC State team was able to accomplish last season, a remarkable 20 six and six record overall on the year. They got knocked off a bunch of times by North Carolina, but you know, you look at the matches this this team lost again, twenty six and seven by teams from North Carolina. Excuse me, but you look at the record for this team, twenty six and six overall. Only one match they lost was a bigger blowout than four two, and it was the four one match they lost at uh, against UNC at the National Indoors that honest to God, could just have easily have been a 4-1 win for the NC State Wolfpack to those who watched that match. A bunch of three-set matches ultimately deciding the outcome in that one. You look at the other losses they had, 4-3 to Duke, 4-3 to UNC during the regular season. Both of those matches over the course of the same weekend, they lost a 4-3 match at UVA uh, during the regular season, 4-2 to UVA in the ACC uh, tournament, and then a 4-3 loss came down to the wire against Duke in the NCAA quarterfinals. Jay, again, looking at this team, 26-6 and overall, national indoor semifinalist, NCAA quarterfinalist. Obviously, once again, they had NCAA champions at the end of the season. Jada Daniel, Nell Miller capturing the NCAA doubles title. So they do go home with some hardware. But, like, the thing that jumps out to me, they lost six matches to three ACC schools, I don't know how you say this year was a disappointment. I think there's no way you can qualify 2022 as that for the Wolfpack. Now, did they get things just right or did they exceed expectations? That's a question I defer to you, my friend. You know, I think on paper, it's just right, right? They make the NCAA semifinal in 2021. This year, in a lot of ways, was a a continual step forward of program first. You mentioned the NCAA doubles title. You mentioned just the the streak that they were having. You know, they, you know, did beat, um, or, or, you know, they lost to all of those ACC teams, but they beat a lot of teams that they hadn't beaten before in program history, making a lot of inroads just in being one of the best teams in the country. And so this is another year that solidifies that title for them, right? And so in that regard, this is a, they still are kind of uh, exceeding expectations because 
five years ago, you probably didn't expect that they would be a, a national semifinalist, national quarterfinalist. So they continue to do that, right? They continue to solidify that title. So overall, I would say just right. I think down the home stretch, it was probably a little bit more disappointing, right? You mentioned that run of losses, four, three losses to Duke, North Carolina, UVA. I feel like that popped the bubble a little bit of what was otherwise an excellent, you know, first three months of the season. Uh, and then the loss to Duke in the quarterfinal is one they would certainly want back. Um, but overall, I feel like this is just right and another foot firmly planted in the national title conversation for the Wolfpack. Last year, we constantly debated new blood versus blue blood, right? And NC State epitomizes that new blood. And, you know, again, the job that has been done by head coach Simon Earnshaw, assistant coach Dave Seeker, Secker, I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation there, Dave, two of the kindest guys you will meet uh, in all of college tennis. They're killing it. Like NC State on paper should not be a program that turns into a perennial powerhouse. But of course, if you have followed Coach Earnshaw's career dating all the way back, obviously to his time at Armstrong, that's just what he does. He knows how to build winners. We talk about the patented system that NC State has. And for the record, Jay, you have carte blanche to use the system whenever you need to on today's podcast because that system has just reaped so many dividends for this NC State program. And I suppose here's the case for why you could say they underperformed in 2022. The three teams you really need to beat if you're NC State, UNC, Duke, Virginia, they weren't able to do that last season. And I'm sure in Coach Earnshaw's head, that qualifies as a massive disappointment for this program because they literally beat everyone else on their schedule, 26-0 against anyone not named North Carolina, Duke, or Virginia. But of course, Coach Earnshaw realizes, this is not going to be a revelation to him or any NC State fan, those are the schools you're going to have to beat to go where you want to go. Those are the schools, the blue bloods, dare I say, in Duke and UNC. Is Virginia a blue blood? Maybe not perennially in the sense of women's tennis, but we know what that program is capable of given the run of dominance they experienced on the men's side. Look, the the finish line is in sight, right? Like that's who you have to beat. That's the final step this program has to take to be in the elite of the elite conversation moving forward. But again, since the turn of the decade, 2020, they were they were the third best team through the national, uh, you know, through the season being ended in COVID. I think all of us remember that really fun match they played against UNC right before things got shut down that season. If, uh, I say all of us. Probably no one remembers that match, but us hardcore <laughs> college tennis, tennis intelligentsia nerds, Jay, definitely remember that one. Again, semifinalists in 2021, first time they've done that in program history, quarterfinalists this year, but to produce an NCAA champion, this program's just, it's clearly on the upwards trajectory. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. If if we had had a conversation after that semifinal run in 2021, right, and I had told you, hey, next year, they're not going to have their number one player in Anna Rogers. They're not going to have their number two player in Alana Smith. They're not going to have their number three player in Adriana Riami. And they make the quarterfinals. How does that feel? I think you sign up for that. Right. And so to do this without Alana Smith, who was kind of primed for that number one position this year, to me, all all the more reason that this feels like a just right season for them. Well, that also, again, gets back to Coach Earnshaw and the credit he has to receive there. 
Some scholars are arguing, Jay, that there is not a single better recruiter in the country than Simon Earnshaw, whether it be the, you know, again, and it's not just the freshman, it's working both the freshman and the transfer portal as well. And that's where we get into, you know, some of the players who thrived last year and who also come back this season. I mean, look, it sucks that we only got one year of Prisca Negroho in college tennis because, oh my God. God, was she excellent. And it's not every day that Mike Cation offers a hot take of this is a future All-American, right? Mike makes it a point in life to be careful about prognosticating these big sorts of results for any player because you never want to be in a position where you're putting that sort of pressure on someone as someone in the booth, as a member of the media, especially on a kid who's 17, 18, 19 years old. But like... Negroho was freaking excellent last season. 22-6 and six overall, 19-6 and six at the three spot. Jay, she's already top 350 in the WTA singles rankings. Like, fuck me. That's, that's incredible. And, like, that's one, that's one piece he was able to bring in last year. Now, obviously, Negroho is out, as is Jada Daniel, who 16-11 at the number one single spot. Uh, I believe her and... Uh, her and Nell, what did they go throughout the course of last year? I think 21 and four overall in dual match play, 27 and five overall. Obviously, together they combined to win the NCAA championship. Those are two massive losses. You lose your number one player, who again, Jada went 16 and 11 at the number one single spot, but I don't think that does justice to what her just being so competent at that spot does for the rest of the lineup last season. And again, This was very much a match calculus team. It was win doubles, win Prisca, find two more. Like, we got to find two more in the rest of our five spots. But despite losing those two uh, two players, like, this is a really good core coming back, right? In Rancelli, in Rejecki, in Miller in Sophie Sophie Abrams, and then the biggest piece of all, you get Alana Smith back as well, Jay. This is an experienced and talented Core 5 NC State returns. Yeah, and hungry, right? Yeah. I think that, like, uh, obviously Alana Smith wishes she was healthy for last season. That totally could change the trajectory of that season. And now she's back, right? She's back for another year. So I think this team will be very hungry, and I think they're used to you know, I, they had, last season they were without their previous season's top three. You had Jada Daniel, you had Rancelli have to move up from four and five up to one and two, right? So even if the records weren't outstanding, just because the, the pressure and the ability that they had to carry that load at the top of the lineup, let some of these other players, whether it was doubles or other lower positions in the lineup, really thrive like a Prisca Negroho. So look, they bring back the on-paper the second highest, you know, UTR team. And it starts with Alana Smith, right? Um, she played one college event in the fall. She's all the way up to 13 in the country based on that one event, you know, where she beats Carmen Corley, number two player at Oklahoma, Carolyn Ansari, a top three player at Auburn, Sydney Ratliff, a top three player at Ohio State. She's played on the ITF circuit. So she seems to be healthy. That is great news for us as college tennis fans and great news for for the Wolfpack because she will be back and she'll be a factor both in doubles, right, where she previously had partnered with Anna Rogers, one of the top teams in the country, um, and she'll be back at, you know, top three position in this lineup. No, absolutely. And look, one of the stories you and I were monitoring closely throughout the course of last year was Alana Smith, will she return in time? And credit to her, she did everything 
everything in her power to try and come back last year. You talk about that hungry nature of this NC State team, perhaps most epitomized by the efforts made by Smith, who just tried to put off surgery for as long as possible to perhaps have the option to contribute to her team. Now, again, the crazy part was, Jay, they didn't really need her. Like, again, 63-13 and 13 in doubles. This team, an individual dual match play, which is just laughably exceptional. I don't think I've seen a better number throughout the course of our top 10 preview pods, Jay. But then, you know, 119-51. and 51, They won 70% of their singles matches overall. We're only under 60% at one flight. It was the number one singles spot. Again, this team brings back all sorts of depth with its returners. And, you know, let's start with Nell Miller, who you looked last season, Miller coming over from Texas Tech. She went 16 and 10 in dual match play, 11 and 8 at the number four spot. But A, she got to play some massive matches, right? Like that match against Crawley at the National Indoors, the match against who played four for Duke. I forget who it was in that clinching moment. Uh, but you know, yeah. Miller Miller was right there. That was in, that was the Kelly Chen match. Yeah, oh, thank you very much. You're right. Those were those matches where Miller was right there, got those reps under her belt. And even if they didn't break her way last year, you just can't fake that sort of experience. She also, again, won the NCAA championship, and you saw that pay dividends right away as her and Rejecki captured the All American title in doubles too. Like, I know she might not be a blue chip talent. But boy, like, I feel really good about Nell Miller going into this season. I just think she's ready to be the leader. Like, you know what I mean? I just, or just like, it feels like this team from a cultural perspective, they all know how to win. And now they're starting to do it with more frequency. Like, they're ready to take contender status. They're ready to go, I suppose, from hunter to hunted. Does that make sense? I kind of think she epitomizes that. Yeah, I mean, she certainly does. Certainly, um, you know, one of the beating hearts on the team. I feel a little differently, though. I think last Ooh. season was really streaky for a lot of players uh, on this roster, which we'll talk about. And I think that that's what culminated in sort of the 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 kind of dipping in form of the overall team towards the end of the season. I mean, Nell Miller started out extremely strong. We saw what she did at indoors. She started out 11 and two. She's on 11 and two run. And then she loses six straight matches. And that was concerning in kind of the, the home stretch. And that has continued through the fall. She was three and four this fall. It was not a good fall on the singles court. She certainly makes up for that in that all American doubles title, the success she's had with Rejecki. I don't know where Nell Miller will factor in to this lineup. I think she will absolutely factor in in doubles will be a key piece of that. She will be that vocal leader. Um, but I have, I have a little bit more questions maybe than you do about where Nell, Nell slots into the singles lineup. Yeah, no, I mean, it is interesting, right? When you look at all of the returners, because you feel like it's a lot of players who would constitute a really good meat and potatoes, like the center portion of a lineup, right? The two through five spots of the returners, you feel like they've all got them covered. And you look at the numbers last year, Sophie Abrams, 22 and six overall in dual match play. She went 16 and four combined at the four and five. I mean, again, she went 22 and six combined playing entirely in the four through six single spots. Miller, 16 and 10 uh, in those three through six single spots. You bring back someone like Amelia Rejecki, who you know, 19 and nine overall in those four through six single spots. Certainly, uh, you feel like in Abigail Renshelly, another player, 19 and nine in those four, uh, excuse me, uh, she went 18 and eight at the number two spot. But 
again, like from a core perspective, two through five, heart of the doubles lineup, you have no questions about that, right? Like you feel like this team brings back all the ingredients that you need. I don't know. You tell me. How do you feel about Abrams, who, of course, comes over to NC State after beginning her career earlier at Memphis? I felt like that was a really good addition. And then the two homegrown talents, Rejecki and Rinchelli, they took another step forward in their sophomore seasons. Yeah, I mean, first on on Abrams, I mean, she had a really rough fall in 2021. She was 4-11 and 11 in the fall and totally turns it around in the spring. She had a fine fall, 9-6 and six this season. Um, I don't have many doubts about her slotting into a 5 or, or a 6 position. I think, you know, Rancelli was one of the breakout stars for this team last season to move up to number two position, hold her own 18 and eight. You know, she probably had the biggest scalp of the year with the stunning upset in NCAA singles over number one, Emma Navarro. Uh, You know, she had a solid fall six and four. And then the player who has made the biggest leap right this fall is Amelia Rejecki, who, when I talk about, streaky and i talked about Mel, um nell's kind of up and down form i mean that was sort of the story arc of of Rejecki, but in an opposite direction right she starts out the year she goes seven and seven at number six which is if you if you've seen her play you know she has the serve the forehand the weapons to be much better than that and then she goes 13 and two in her kind of final matches down the home stretch moves up to kind of the four and the five spot um so she started to play really well down the home stretch and she's continued that this fall. I've been really impressed with her. I mean, both in the collegiate events and on the ITF circuit, 13 and five um, in the fall, you know, gets really good wins across the, across the board in, in college finishes at number 23 wins a 15 K. I mean, she's starting to play really elite level tennis. Um, I think that's very promising for NC state. No, absolutely. Again, the the best part is, you know, you have those core players in Abrams, in Miller, in Rejecki, in Rinchelli all coming back. And then, like, if Alana Smith is healthy, you know, Alana Smith was an All-American back in 2021. And her and Anna Rogers were an elite of the elite doubles pairing as well uh, that season. And so what did they make the semifinals? I want to say as a duo and at the time that was the best result for NC state sort of epitomized the rise of the system that they have in doubles. And it's like, okay, that's your core five, right? When we know, I mean, I have no doubt, like they're all known commodities, right? They've all played at least a year, two years of significant college tennis matches. And maybe the question is you have for yourself now is, okay, well, we know that about that, but none of those names jump off the page, right? There's not an Emma Navarro there. There's not a Peyton Stearns there. And so frequently it feels like you got to have one of, if not the, you know, one of the best five, if not the best player in college tennis to really get over the finish line come the NCAA tournament. Well, that leads me to the new additions, Jay. Maybe in the history of college tennis, and I don't want to speak for the 70s and the 80s when like, you know, John McEnroe comes in and plays a year for Stanford because that's probably the best addition any team has ever brought in in an off season or like I don't know wouldn't suck to bring in the Bryan brothers wouldn't suck to bring in a Rajiv Ram to that 03 Illinois team right there are individual examples if you really want to turn to it Navarro even for Virginia what she did for that program the past two years but like in my lifetime we have never seen a player ranked 111 right now 111 
in the WTA rankings come to college tennis. That's exactly what, in theory right now, and we're invoking the roster rule, in theory, Jay, that's what NC State is adding in number world, uh, you know, 18-year-old Diana Schneider coming in as a freshman who, just to quickly recap, Schneider wins a 125K event at the end of November, beats Haley Baptiste, Sarah Irani, Lilia Jean-Jean, shout out to the college tennis ties, like, you know, she wins that event, finals of a 60K as well, wins a 60K back in April. She's made five pro circuit finals here this year. Two of them at the 60K level, one of them at the 125K level. Again, she's ranked 111 in the world right now. Like, not 111 in college tennis. In the world, Jay. Find me a better addition in college tennis history. Well, I can't in terms (laughs) of uh, the the history you mentioned in the McEnroe. You know, look – when Emma Navarro cracked the top 200 last season, that was a massive deal for women's tennis, right? To have a player in college cracking the top 200 while still playing. So in, you know, let's just say the last few few decades, this doesn't happen. This doesn't exist. Um, there is no other comparable for this to come in. You know, she was an excellent junior. She was top two in the world, so it wasn't a surprise. But this fall, you mentioned those results. I mean, when they signed her or announced her signing, right, she was around 250. And even then it was like, whoa, this is a big, really big deal. The leap that she has made just in this fall alone is really remarkable to the point where she is going to be seated at the Australian Open qualifying. She is in qualifying for the WTA 250 lead-up events for the Australian Open. It's there's not much more to say. I mean, it's it's unheard of. Um I, you know, I'm curious on how this will work and we can chat about that more uh towards the end, but yeah, I mean, there is this is the elite of the elite. There's there's no standard here. And just like look I love you, Alana Smith. You're you're a really great human being. And Renchelli, Rejecki, Miller, I, Abrams, all these pieces are wonderful. Should Diana Schneider come to college? She's playing number one singles for NC State. Like, with all due respect, you're 111 in the world. You're playing number one singles. And again, the concept of her at one pushing everyone else down the lineup, Jay. And like, there's a world where, again, Renchelli went 18 and 8 at number two singles last year. Two's probably Zelana's spot, right? If she's healthy, like she has the pedigree, she's earned the right to play there. So you move her down a spot. You know, one of Miller, Abrams, Rejecki steps into that number three role for Negroho. Like 19 and six is really difficult to replicate, but you feel like it's not off the table. Like it's not out of the cards for them at that three spot. But then four, five, six, like it's going to be the same group of players, the same permutations, right, playing in those positions if Schneider comes to school. Now, again, we have the roster rule. She's listed right now, but we can have the conversation quickly here. What do you think, Jay? Because if you're seated in Aussie qualifying, and she is right now listed in playing all these events in Australia, if she's top 100 after the Australian Open or you know, it's funny in Simon's head. I wonder if he's like, I really need her to lose first round of qualifying because like, <laughs> then maybe she comes. And he says that in, a, in jest, right? Like, of course, he's rooting for her success. Simon's too good of a human being to think otherwise. But like, I don't, I'm still not convinced she's coming. 
I am not convinced either. I went deep on this today <laughs> and I was trying to map out like what would her schedule look like, mm-hmm. right? And the hard part is, okay, maybe she can play the U.S. events of Indian Wells in Miami in March and, and qualifying there. But the reality is, is the French Open qualifying starts the Monday after the NCAA team event. And she's already going to be in the French Open qualifying. She will could likely be in the French Open main draw. I just don't know how you how you give it up. Now, I will say, and I was vocal about this on Twitter when there was the will he won't he speculation about Ben Shelton. Mm -hmm. It every player is different. Right. And there are considerations far beyond what makes sense to other people on paper that you know, are going to be personal. And so I don't know what those factors are in her consideration. It's tough to see how she gives up all of the, you know, points and prize money that she would have to leave on the table to play a meaningful, you know, spring schedule, Mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise, if she's not going to play the NCAA tournament, it really doesn't matter. Um, So, uh, yeah, we we will see. I mean, I think, look, she has 593 points right now. Only 160 of them she needs to defend before June. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of runway here to improve that ranking very significantly. It's tough. And again, it'd be one thing if you're just outside the top 200. And then, yeah, cool, qualifying's awesome, but, like, the concept of getting into some of the February events or, like, as you mentioned, the March events where, all due respect to how the calendar's constructed, a lot of top-ranked players do end up using February as their preseason. Go listen to the mini-break podcast I did with Bradley Klon to hear the reasoning behind that. Um, yeah, it's just like, Schneid, like but, but it's not that. Schneider's not like making a top 200 push. It's the concept of making a top 100 push. And when you're top 100 now, you're in the ballgame because you're getting into every slam main draw because you can go play tour level events or certainly no fewer or lower than 100K, 125K events where, by the way, we've already seen Diane Schneider, ha- uh, Diana Schneider have success. I need to see her in an NC State uniform before I believe it, but like – Given we have the roster rule, uh, obviously, for the sake of these podcasts, as of right now, we are considering Diana Schneider playing for this NC State team. And again, if she does, pushes all the returners down a spot. But look, there are a couple other newcomers who came in as well, right? Gina Dittman coming over from Northern Arizona. Chloe Henderson coming in as a freshman. What do you know about them, Jay? What do you expect to see from them this season? Well, you know, Gina Dittman, you know, she's transferred from Northern Arizona, big Sky Conference player of the year, two times in a row, you know, by UTR. She's, you know, above Nell Miller, right? So she's in that kind of like 10-2 to 10-4 range where, you know, you feel good about her playing five and six. The other player, um, you know, that you didn't mention was their recent addition, uh, you know, Anna Zyranazova of Russia who you you talk about Simon being one of the best recruiters. He's also like the only coach right now who can bring in players from Russia, uh, including Diana Schneider. She's top 60 player in the world in juniors. Um, So she's going to factor into that lower part of that lineup. And it just gives them, those are two players who with the Nell Millers, the Sophie Abrams of the world, right? Those are probably 
if Diana Schneider plays, you have four players at that point for five and six positions, right? Um, And that's a good place to be. No, you talk about the match calculus for NC State, even San Schneider. You feel like doubles, four, five, six. Like that's going to work a lot of the time against probably, what, 90%? of the opponents that they'll end up facing even should, again, Schneider not show up. And yeah, you feel like Dittman, you feel pretty good. Maybe not at the number one spot in the ACC, but if she's playing three, four, five, you feel pretty confident about her ability to contribute. Uh, Tell me a little bit more, though, about this secondary Russian, about the Schneider insurance, dare we say. (laughs) Uh, Because again, you're right, she's not listed on the roster. I forgot to do my research there. Talk to me a little bit more about her. Yeah, so she's the top 60 in the world in juniors. Um, you know, she's been playing on the ITF Pro Circuit. You know, she is in there right now at around a, a 10, 10 to 8, okay. uh, which is above Nell Miller, who's at a 10 1. Uh, and that's kind of their their floor. So she and Dittman by UTR are basically identical. Um, so this is the the depth insurance policy, right? So if Schneider leaves and they move everyone up, do they still have a player who can slot in there at six, right? Um, so that's what you know. That's what she will factor in as. Yeah, and I think when we look at this team, we've been pretty clear. What is the strengths? It's the depth, right? It's the fact that this team, three through six, every match they play, it's going to be an absolute nightmare to face up with them because they do have that experience. You, you're making a face that makes you yeah, seem to I- say you disagree, other than the doubles, which is the clear strength always. Yeah, I don't think it is the depth really. I think I think they go up 2-0 in every match with doubles and Schneider, assuming okay. she plays, right? I actually really, really like their three and four. I think you're gonna have a Rejecki Rinchelli combo there. I think Rejecki has made a big jump. I think she's playing excellently. I think at best I feel really good about their number four position. So I would say doubles, one, four. I like those points, right? Give me a split at just one of two and three or one of five and six. I don't feel as good about the depth on this team as I do about some of the other teams we've talked about. The only thing that helps them is the experience that they've had, and that will go take them a long way. But on paper, it's it's not as strong. Well, if Schneider's one, uh, here's where I'm going to push back. Schneider won. Going to give Alana Smith at least two months to figure her things out, assuming she's at two in this scenario. And we're kind of talking yeah. through the projected lineup, obviously, right now as well. The R&R combo at three and four is wonderful. But, like, J- Sophie Abrams went 12 and four at the five spot last year. In this scenario, she's there again. Or she's playing six behind Nell Miller, who, for what it's worth, I know, you know, 11 and eight at the four spot. She was three and oh at five singles last year. If you move her down a spot, you like to think, I don't know, 12 and five, 13 and six range feels very accomplishable, if not better for her at that position. Like, how does five and six not become a strength there, given the experience these two have? The senior Nell Miller, I don't care, like, when she goes into forehand slice mode. You put that backhand, her serve, her ability to move forward against some of the competition she'll see at five and six, she shouldn't lose. And like, again, Sophie Abrams swinging away at five and six, she shouldn't lose either. Like, that's where I would push back. Now, if there's an injury or Schneider doesn't show up, you're right. Then I do think the depth of the lineup, uh, you know, the, the back end of this lineup does maybe get slightly more exposed. But like, as much as I like R&R in the center, the idea of Miller and Abrams at five and six is laughable to me because they're both veterans. Like you have 
experienced players in those freaking positions. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I think it's about the relative strength, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm really high on Rejecki at either okay. three and four. Relative to these other teams at a five and six, I think it's you feel really good about having you know Miller or Abrams at those positions relative to other top eight teams. I feel like those are kind of washes. Yeah, I mean, okay. I see what you're saying now. Fair. I guess I'm saying big picture, though, because they're not only going to be playing top eight teams, right? They're going to – the totally. potato it, season. That's what I'm yeah. saying is come eight – why are they going to win ACC matches 4-0, 4-1? Because they're going to win doubles, and there are going to be matches where four through six just overwhelms the opponent. Fair? Yeah, absolutely. And and doubles, they're going to go up 1-0. You yeah. know, I mean, this is an incredibly strong team in doubles. So they're going to win that doubles point. They're going to win a lot of matches quickly because they're going to put three singles on the board. Um, and a lot of those will come at the bottom of the lineup. And by the way, you mentioned the Rejecki, uh, the growth we've seen from her. Let's yeah. not forget when Shelly was the person who freaking beat Emma Navarro at the NCAA yeah. tournament last year. And like, you know, you look at the fall for NC State, it hasn't been the greatest. They went 25 and 20 in singles matches, 15 and 9 in doubles matches. But like... I feel pretty freaking good about Abigail Rinchelli as well, right? Like the confidence you get from beating Emma freaking Navarro ending that college career. That's a big moment for any player. That's an inflection point. Yeah, absolutely. I called it the biggest scalp of, you know, the (laughs) 2022 season. So absolutely. You know, I think she hasn't, she played 10 college matches, right? And it was what you would expect, right? She goes into the regional, you know, she loses to Chloe Beck. Great. She gets three or four other wins there. Um, you know, nothing to feel any differently about her form um, from her college uh, fall. So, yeah, I feel really good about Rinchelli. I feel really good about Rejecki. I've been so impressed with her. I think the confidence that she's getting from doubles as well. Um, I think those are two players that, you know, are going to win a lot for this team. I'm also not supposed to play favorites, and I don't, except for Julia Fliegner. Shout out to little sis. Um Having the chance to interview Rejecki and Miller after their All-American title, they're just goofy. Like, they are fun. You can tell there's a chemistry, there's a comfort level, there's just a casualness that every good team has where it's like, we know how good we are, but we're not uptight about it. There's a looseness, there's a flow to this team. Again, the word I keep coming back to is a comfort level and I think we've done a good job of projecting the lineup. I want to just one final strength, I would say. This team played nine 4-3 matches last year. Nine 4-3 matches. And guess what? They weren't 9-0. and They weren't even 7-2. and They were 5-4 and in those nine 5-3 match, uh, matches. And, like, that's a strength to me. And it gets back to the depth and it gets back to the experience, I suppose, more than anything else. This team has seen some sh- Like, they have been through the ringer. They understand what it takes to be a high-level team and that sometimes the breaks aren't always going to go your way. And again, those Miller losses in big moments last year I actually think are immeasurably helpful for a team entering this season because you've been on the other end. And again, I... Another high school tennis anecdote for you, Jay, which I know you're going to love. My sophomore year is the only year we didn't win states. And my sophomore year was the year – so I played – my older brother, Eric, love him. Shout out E. Um, he he played with this guy named Kyle Zhu, who they won two state doubles titles together. Two doubles, three doubles – or three doubles, two doubles, sophomore, junior year. Kyle also won his freshman year at the number four doubles spot. He and I played number one doubles together his senior year. 
that is the only year Kyle Zoo does not end up with a state championship. That's the only year our team does not win a state championship. And like I'm getting mad thinking about it right now of how just in, just you you make a promise to yourself never again am I going to allow this to happen. And you feel like Simon, David, the entire roster after losing that 4-3 match to Duke, there's a world where they all looked at each other and they said, we will never allow this to happen again. We have taken our lumps, even that North Carolina match at the National Indoors. We know what we have to do in those moments. If you sense even the slightest opportunity to cut the throat of the opponent, you have to cut their throat. You have to take advantage, step on the neck, finish the match. Like, I think that's a strength for this team is that they did play those 9-4-3 matches and that it's just kind of – they know, like, again, we're never going to be on the losing one of those again. And it's not like it was some – it's not a Texas situation where they went 9-0 and in the 4-3s the one year. Like, they experienced the wins. They experienced the losses. I love that for this team. Yeah, I think that goes back to the hunger, right, that we talked about. I think that Duke match will – sit with them for a long time it they lost doubles fourth time all year they lost at number one doubles Nell Miller and Jada Daniel NCAA champions that was probably a lot of fuel in that run in Champaign for that duo so I think you're right that is a you know an immeasurable strength for this team the experience that they have and also we talked about this but you know someone like Ren Shelley having to move up to number two was not expecting to have to do that right and everyone else having to move up so yeah they have the experience we'll have to see how that plays out in 2023 they're kind of the inverse them in Oklahoma on one side of the equation then you have like the Georges of the world on the other right where it's like all these talented pieces but we're not exactly sure how it fits together we know how this NC State team fits together yeah, absolutely. And that's the little new blood, blue blood, right? Yeah. Um, you know, these these newer bloods who are building these programs uh, on paper, you look and you go, I don't know if this is as talented as a roster as some of these blue bloods, but it's that hunger. It's that drive. It's that work ethic. It comes from the coaches. You see that come through in the players mm-hmm. that wins a lot of matches and starting to the you know a, a turning of the tide in a lot of ways yeah and again it's also the wherewithal to be like we've been there we've seen these matches we've been to a final stage we again got a peek at a quarterfinal match got a peek at a night match all these like night match versus morning matches and by the way this is also their members of the team Rajecki, Rinchelli, Smith they all made the semifinals. Like, this is a team that has gone back to uh, of the NCAA tournament back in 2021. They were yep. all on that roster. And so it was funny, listeners, why I had to go on there is Jay was making a face like, what do you mean they made the semifinals? I wanted to clarify it for you listeners because the confusion on Jay's face seemed to indicate that I needed to do that. But, like, those are the strengths of this team. Is the weakness that the the whole has to be greater than the sum of its parts? And it's just like you look at some of the other team and you see the parts and it's like the idea. And we just recorded this podcast again an hour ago. That's why it's fresh in my mind. But like Viad Manova at four, I don't care if it's Rejecki, Rinchelli, Miller, Abrams. That's a nightmare sort of matchup or like I don't know if it's. I don't want to say Elizabeth Scotty at four because I don't think that's going to happen. But if it's like Brantmeyer at four, that's a bigger name for UNC. And it's like this is a team where, again, we talk about the system. 
their principles, their focus, their match-in, match-out ability to execute what they do in the film room to study. This team wins all the intangible qualities, but sometimes it just comes out to you roll the balls out, you play, and the person with the bigger forehand, bigger backhand, bigger serve ultimately wins the match. That's the concern, right, Jay, is that the sum has to be greater than the whole of the parts, and I'm curious from a uh, top power six or top six UTR perspective, I feel like this team's probably outside the top five. I feel like they're probably sitting closer to that seven eight nine range well no because they have schneider oh right? yeah duh, duh, duh. schneider the, sitting there that's the cheat code because she's like a 22 utr <laughs> yeah yeah 12.14 which it's is crazy totally unheard of is that the best um, in college tennis it's gotta be right yeah it's a you know full point basically above uh, i mean you've got 11 twos is basically the the next yeah wait what's crawley yeah it's Crawley's cra- a, a, like 11.28 the last time i saw it <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's actually amazing. Oh, okay, eleven three seven, but still amazing. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, the next highest player on this roster is Alana Smith, right? Just under eleven. Um, if you take Schneider out, what's their power? Or what's their top six uh, of it? Like, I'm curious, how much does it drop by? Like two points? The difference would, between Schneider would, and whoever? Yeah, it would drop by a point and a half. So that would take them to what? Like from from wherever they're at. What are they overall? I'm curious where this this top six lineup, and I'm trying to filibuster here to buy you some time to pull it up. <laughs> so with Schneider, right, they are number two. Okay, without Schneider, if they if drop you, them a point and a half. If you drop them, you know, let's say a, a point, 1.2, because they're at 65.23, you bring them down to 64. Yeah, then they're, you know, they're right above Oklahoma, who came in at 11th. So they're okay. 10th. So, which by the way, that makes a lot of sense that those two teams are in the in a similar spot because we've mentioned it before. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That said, when you bring in a part like Schneider, that's actually amazing. I'm, that might be my favorite like little tidbit we've offered throughout the duration of these preview podcasts is that she's like a full point UTR higher than everyone else in college tennis. Well, then with that in mind, what are the other concerns for you? Yeah, there aren't a ton of other concerns, right? Uh, you know, without Schneider... This is a team that is a top 10 team, has the intangibles, has the double skills without Schneider um, to make a a, a deep run again, right? And still year in, year out, be in that quarterfinal range. I I probably am just not as high on like the the five and six depth. I think we, and potentially Alana Smith, right? That's another question mark here is just, she looked good in the fall. She definitely looked good in the fall. But, you know, this is a year off of, of tennis and match in, match out. They're probably going to need her playing. Uh, and if she's not able to play, then that's going to be a, another hit for them. Yeah, it, very well said. I would also, you mentioned it, this team lost, what, four doubles points throughout the course mm-hmm. of last season. Two of their losses came in two of those instances. They dropped the doubles point. We both have full faith in the system, but like. There has to be some regression from 63 and 13, right? Like that is just almost an unsustainable amount of double success. And while you do feel probably better about the singles depth this year compared to last year because it's all the same players, just a year more experienced, they were up 1-0 in what? I'm doing the math here. They played 32 matches, 28 of their 32 matches and like, what if they're not up 1-0? We've talked about this every time. It's like it's really hard to find four singles victories against any team you're going to play this season. And perhaps this team more than any benefit gets the benefit of the doubt of, well, they're going to be one up 1-0, so they don't have to worry about that fact. But 
you know, again, what if there is a little bit of regression? How will this team respond to that fact? That said, you look at the schedule for this team, certainly they're going to have the opportunity to test themselves, see how they do respond to adversity. You look for them right away. They're going to the Miami Spring Invitational. Then they've got at South Carolina prior to the start of the kickoff weekend. You look for the national indoors for what it's worth. This NC State team, the sixth seed overall. Vanderbilt comes to town. Furman comes to town. Obviously, Illinois going to be their first match, but for a number six seed, that's not a cakewalk. Like that that's a tricky, tricky scenario. And so that's gonna be a fun one to watch, particularly indoors. Now you look at the rest of the schedule. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Very, very fun. They've got Oklahoma coming to town. That same day, it says they've got a doubleheader with Tennessee. I'm going to go ahead and say that's an unforced error by the schedule. That's probably a Sunday match, not a Saturday match. Although, let me just say, (laughs) would I put it past Simon Earnshaw to schedule an Oklahoma-Tennessee doubleheader for his team? (laughs) If anyone's going to push the bounds of what's possible in the schedule, it's Simon freaking Earnshaw. On four indoor courts. He's like, yes, we have a 12-hour day. Get ready. (laughs) This is what we're doing. That would be delightful. Yeah. Just well, hey, you know, we're we're down a date because, you know, Schneider was playing tournaments and we got yeah. docked for that. So we're doubling up. That's just amazing. I mean, look, they've also got at Ohio State February 17th. That's a fun match at UCF on March 17th. Good way to sneak some things, some uh, outdoor tennis in there also. And like Nona in- prep. Yeah, absolutely. Sneaking in a Syracuse East Carolina doubleheader on March 31st. And then the big one, of course, is the match. Texas comes to town April 10th, right before the ending of the season. And just by the way, listen to this eight-day stretch. April 6th at North Carolina. April 8th at Duke. April 10th, Texas at home. April 14th, Virginia at home. We will know how good this NC State team is come the NCAA tournament, Jay, right? How do you think, how do you feel about this schedule, how they feel in the conference as well? Yeah, I like this schedule a lot, right? I think the Oklahoma, Tennessee before indoors is a great test uh, early in the season. The at Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State is not in our top 10, but everybody is going to Ohio State this season. I mean, listen to this, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Georgia, NC State, and Arizona State, all going to Ohio State. Shout out to Coach Job there. Major Ty Tucker scheduling and getting all of these teams to come to you in Columbus. I know they have had some um, home and homes, but I look forward to that match. Uh, and then, yeah, that eight-day stretch is just brutal. I mean, I was like, yeah, the UNC Duke Virginia swing is what got them last year. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're adding in two-time defending <laughs> national champion Texas into the mix of that of that stretch. So, you know, they won't have time to dwell on wins or losses that come through in the in that stretch. And man, if that's not a good uh, prep for the NCAA tournament, right, where you do have to go back to back day off back, you know, back again, like they'll be ready for sure. Yeah. By the way, there's a second typo. They're at Wake Forest at Ohio State the same day, two hours apart. Maybe they're just splitting the team up. And splitting saying, the teams. Yeah, yeah, but that's just again. We'll get the we'll get the typos fixed out. I promise. Here's the other thing I would point out though, from a scheduling perspective. Last year they got a lot of big matches at home. This year they've got the dreaded at Miami at Florida State Florida Southern trip at the start of March. That's just you usually a lot. 
so many great teams have gone one and one on that Florida trip. So you always keep that in mind. Again, they're they're at North Carolina. They're at Duke. Sure, it's a within-the-state sort of thing, so it's not that bad from a travel perspective. But I would prefer to play those two teams at home. I'm sure Coach Earnshaw feels the same way. It's a tough schedule, and it's still the ACC conference. And, you know, again, with that in mind, we look at this team. I'm going to erase the why isn't this team higher question from this part of the podcast because we've now reached the number three team. And what you're really asking then is why isn't this team number one? But before we get to our predictions, Jay, I mean, again, as you look at this ACC conference – it's still the class of the uh, of the country, right? Like, I mean, you look at the top four schools. We have four ACC teams in our top ten, right? In uh, Spoiler alert, North Carolina is going to be one of our top two teams, folks. But NC State, we've already previewed. Obviously, Virginia, we've already previewed. Um, who am I blanking on as our Duke. fourth? Duke, we've already previewed as well. Thank you. I mean, Georgia Tech's not going to be bad. Like, there's still decent depth everywhere in this conference as well, right? They are still Miami bringing in Alexa Newell and all the pieces they have. ACC is the class of the country, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we almost discount, like, we kind of are looking for the non-conference matches, like Oklahoma pops, Texas top, um, pops when you're looking at the schedule. But, yeah, I mean, they still have UNC on the schedule. They have Duke. They have Virginia, Miami, Georgia Tech. Like, all of these teams Um, so they are going to be extremely tested and in some ways, I wonder if that hurt them last year. I mean, I think that they did struggle down that home stretch They not only lost those three, four, three matches to these teams we're talking about, but then they lost in the quarterfinals, the ACC tournament to that Virginia team again. Right. So they're going to have to schedule this year and, and prepare for that late April, early May time frame right it's not about peaking in the indoors and those matches after indoors particularly for a school that has their fiercest in-conference rivals all at the back half of their schedule can i give you one other sneaky fun match that i think is going to be interesting on their schedule and a team i'm very high on entering this you're not very high on but i think is going to make a top 25 push i think notre dame's really good i think Mm. notre dame's done a really good job recruiting and obviously Allison Silverio was one of my favorite interviews quietly that we did last year. I just, I believe in what she's building. And you look at tennis recruiting to bring in a blue chip and I think four or five stars over the course of the past two seasons. Now that's a very young group, but it's one of those, a lot, you know, we talk about some greater than the, the, the whole of the parts. They've got a lot of parts and they're trying to still put it all together. But that at Notre Dame match is another one I would look to as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if that if that's home or if that's at Notre Dame, that's a big difference, right? Yeah, and North exactly. Carolina went on the road to Notre Dame last year and lost like five first sets. And it was like, whoa. Uh, and North Carolina ended up winning that match. But yeah, it's a tough place to play, tough place to travel to. Um, so it's, oftentimes you go there and you maybe have six weeks of outdoor tennis under your belt and you go indoors at Notre Dame. So it's, it's always a tough place to go. Did listeners, did you all notice how Jay just there took a veiled shot at the Midwest once again, being like, oh, all the rest of us have transitioned outdoors, but then you go to the, the Midwest and now you got to sneak in a late March indoor match. I notice, I know what you're up to, Jay. I know your agenda. You can't sneak that past me. But no, with all that in mind, let's get into it. Predictions for the 2023 NC State Wolfpack. Let's start with the big question. Do they get a win over one of North Carolina, Duke, Virginia this year? 
I don't think that's the first big question. It's the the first big endorse? question, no, kickoff. It is. It's Diana Schneider. <laughs> like, that's the big question, sure. right? Is how many of these matches does she play if she well, plays at all? Can I ask you this? What do you rank this team if San Schneider? Where would they be for you? I, you know, I think they are in the six to nine range. Back half of tier one. Back half of tier one. Or tier two if you think North Carolina is the unequivocal sure. tier yeah. one. Yeah. I think in the teams we have there, I think I would probably have them. If we had those three teams that were fighting for 10, right? We talked about kind of Virginia, USC, um, A&M. This team feels like right above that. Yeah. I I would still take this team over Virginia, San Schneider, just because of the experience they have throughout the course of the lineup. I also think this is a team that's going to be really good right away. And I do wonder, again, from an improvement perspective, how much better are they going to be in May than they are in June? Now, a Coach Earnshaw team is always better in May than it is in June. But San Schneider particularly, you do wonder how high is the upside moving forward? Well, no one plays in June. Uh, uh, said, man, man, man. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean. But that was not the case in 2022. This team was lights out in January, February, and then they continued that stretch until they run into that in-conference gauntlet. They really struggled, and I thought they did not look good in the ACC tournament, and they should not have lost that Duke match, right? So that was not the case in 2022. Do I think that can be the case in 2023? Absolutely. But, you know... I, We'll see. We'll see. I think that gets back to the concept. They may have gotten better, but there was more improvement available to be maximized for some of the other rosters. Like, I think we're agreeing, but like this team gets their work done in the fall. Like, this team, to your point, always comes out ready. We've seen that at the yeah. National Indoors the last three years or whatever yes. it may be. And so, you know, this team's going to be prepared. Um, yep. But. Again, because there are a lot of young pieces in a lot of different places. Like Georgia, I feel like, is going to be so much better, not only in June, but in May as well, uh, than they are in January. That's a good just, point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I just don't see the depth perhaps quite as big uh, as they once did. Um, oh, man, I'm, I apologize. I'm getting distracted. I'm currently in Michigan. My little brother is right now sitting on the porch doing some dancing, just spontaneous dancing. So I'm recording him doing it. I got rejected. I'm going to tweet that out with this video so you all know why I'm distracted in this moment because this is actually a sight to behold uh, as a quick tangent for all of you listeners. But with that said, okay, so this team ultimately – Gonna, we, we agree, like, they've got pieces, they've got talent, they've got experience. Do they get a win over Duke, Virginia, UNC? Don't avoid the question here, Jay. Yeah, I think they definitely do. Um, they'll get multiple shots, both at indoors, uh, in the regular season, in the ACC tournament. Um, I think they will definitely get a win over Virginia. I think, you know, going 0-2 last year was tough. Uh, and I think if they get to face Duke early in the season, I think they'll get a win over that Duke team as well. Yeah, I I think the fact that they get a couple of those matches at home, right? The fact that uh, – or the Virginia match in particular at home. I think yeah. that's the one you circle as like that's the one we got to win. Um, I agree. I think whether it's in the conference tournament, uh, regular season play, at some point this team is ultimately going to get one of those big victories, get over that threshold and join the elite of the elite status in the ACC. That said – National indoors-wise, again, we saw how dangerous this team was last year. We saw it in 2020 as well. You thinking big things for this program come the National Indoors this year in Seattle? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a semifinal finalist type team for indoors, right? I think to your point, that experience, they should be ready to go. They always start the year strong. I'm sure they're looking forward to this event. Um, I think they will perform well at indoors. I don't have any doubts about that. I agree. I think this is a team that's going to be really good from the start of the season. And I could see this team even winning. The, oh, I think the three-time defending champs have earned the benefit of the doubt to come into the national indoors as the favorites. But like I could see an all North Carolina national indoor final totally. and it, it very much in the cards. And again, if this team has Diana Schneider at the national indoors, like not only do you roll in with the best player, but you've got a system intact that, you know, works particularly well indoors as well. I'm fascinated to see how this team performs at the national indoors. That said, the big question on all of our, well, I guess ACC regular season conference, conference play do they sneak out a title i don't i don't think they win the regular season in the acc i think there will be you know in theory you know and if schneider plays i think she basically skips march right i think that makes them vulnerable to losing a match or two um so i don't think they win the regular season you know I don't think they win the conference either, but I could see them making the finals of the ACC tournament. The tough one, it's at Duke, at UNC. Like, if yeah. those were home matches, maybe you think the other way. But because they're not, obviously, I would be leaning towards that same thing. Conference tournament time, that's where things get fascinating. Now, of course, I will continue to lean towards the Tar Heels in this moment. I just... When I look at it one through seven, it's still laughable to me. Um, but this team's going to be in contention for all the titles, no doubt about that. And I do feel pretty comfortable that this team's going to be a top eight seed, right? Come the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you just all you have to do is look at 2022 with how many ACC seeds there were, right? North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, NC State, all what top six seeds? Uh, or maybe, yeah. So, Yes, they will unequivocally be a, a top eight seed. Look, the only thing is if there are absences, right, throughout the course of the regular season, and they do take a few uh, a few losses, which wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it, again, it's a tough schedule, so they're going to have those opportunities. That said, they're going to get the chance to play a lot of ranked opponents, right? And as we yeah. say, you go five and four, six and three in those top 20 matchups, you're going to stumble your way into a top eight seed almost no matter what. All right, it's time for the big question, Jay. Where does this team finish in the NCAA tournament? I do not think this team loses in the NCAA tournament. I have NC State as my national champion. Wow! No! We are talking. We've been doing this for a month straight. We get some juice. Now, let's be clear. This is very contingent on Diana Schneider coming to school, correct? It is. And that is the massive caveat here. My heart says she will not be at this NCAA tournament, but if she plays, I truly believe that NC State goes up 2-0 in all of these matches, doubles and at number one. That is a formula and a match calculus that these other teams just do not have. If you can't find two other points with the talent and depth that this team has between two through six, that's just not something that I think Coach Earnshaw will let happen. <laughs> I think they are going to find a permutation of two other players who step up, probably more, right? But the confidence that having a Schneider at the top of your lineup will do for the rest of this team and this program, 
the familiarity this team has with going deep in Orlando, both individual success and team success, the continual ascension that the program has had over the years. Look, if the cards break right, I truly think this team could be the national champion. It's a really good argument to make, and for what it's worth, I have them as my finalists uh, come the NCAA tournament. I think we all saw what having a Peyton Stearns, having an Emma Navarro does for a team, and the crazy part is that Schneider feels like an auxiliary piece. Like Even without her, this team's core would be competing for a national championship. Now you bring in a player who's .9 UTR ahead of everyone else in the field who's on the precipice of making a top 100 debut. How can you not have this team firmly ensconced in the national championship conversation? And then, like again, I don't want to say it's biased because I don't think that's the right word, but use your eyes. Look at what Coach Earnshaw has done with every program he's coached at throughout the course of his career. Go look at the national championships they racked up at Armstrong. Go look at this steady ascent of an NC State pro, uh, of this NC State program. I'm not saying there aren't other exceptional coaches throughout the college tennis universe, but if you're making a short list of the single best coaches right now in college tennis, I mean, I don't know anyone who wouldn't have Audra at number one just because of the background, the person she is, the profile you're bringing in, like from a coaching perspective of like who's the number one candidate across the country for every job. Like it's probably got to be Audra. But like from a results-based perspective, is there anyone with more pedigree at this point in college tennis other than Coach Farood than Simon Earnshaw? Like you can legitimately say the answer to that question is no. I mean, Farood gets the benefit of the doubt because she's got 37,000 national championships, right? But, like, Simon's up there. It's, uh, <laughs> that went in a lot of different directions. Yes, yeah, so look, it's been three hours uh, of podcasting, my friend. Yeah. Look, I would have Simon above Audra. Wow. And I will make the case for that because I think Simon has done more with this program that had less than an Oklahoma team that had a men's team that went to three straight NCAA finals. Good call. Audra needs to do this for several years, right? Coach Earnshaw has been in the conversation for the past three, four years, right? And so what he has done with the limited resources uh, in a, you know, they're both in very tough areas to recruit, uh, you know, Oklahoma just in the middle of nowhere and then NC State against a Duke and and in North Carolina. Look, Simon has a longer track record at this point, right? And look, I'm excited for that Oklahoma match because these are two teams of new bloods. Look, if I'm Simon, I'm pissed. I'm pissed that Oklahoma made an NCAA final. Stole your thunder. Stole the thunder of like the steady, not even steady improvement, but just massive improvement year after year because Audra went from zero to 60, right? And you're like, come on. I was just about to do that. So yeah, look, I mean, uh, we really shouldn't be be pitting these against each other, so I shouldn't <laughs> rank them. But look, uh, his his well, hold uh, what on. his twenty a, a certain Jay asked how would twenty twenty two Alex feel uh, twenty eighteen Alex feel about twenty twenty two Alex twenty eighteen Alex would pit them against each other. We're having fun here. They're both exceptional. They're both exceptional. great options. Yeah, I just the point I'm making is we need to see Audra do it again, right? And that's what's been so impressive about Coach Earnshaw is he's done it again and again and again. So look, I have no doubts that they will be able to find a way to do it. My doubts are about Schneider, right? Uh, 
But look, again, that's a personal decision. There are complications well beyond what you and I can progress. Predict, prognosticate. Um, is that yeah, what you're I was looking, looking for? for that word? <laughs> yeah, I, that's why you. we're a team, my friend. We so, are our double system is working. Our podcast system, we've got the system down. We've here. got the podcast system. Trademark that one. So look, uh, I, I'm high on this team. I look forward to their success. You know, I hope we get to see Schneider play. I hope she plays the NCAA tournament because it'll be a treat. It'll be a treat for all of us. It'll be a treat for all the teams that they get to play. It is a massive coup for college tennis. I think I've said this before, but just the attention that a Schneider being on the NC State roster gives to college tennis and the visibility that provides. And if she does make the main draw, and that's a conversation piece, right? And that's something that's great for college tennis. Very well said. Yeah, you know what makes college tennis a better place? When we have top 100 freaking players within it, and we might have that for the first time in I don't know how many decades this year in Diana Schneider. Look, it's not hyperbole. I end every podcast the same way I started. Every team we've talked about since number eight, Duke, is firmly in the national championship conversation. NC State, especially if they had Diane Schneider. Uh, Diana Schneider. I keep dropping the other A. I'm pretty sure it's Diana, not Diana. It's Diana. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's the Diane Perry mixing in there. Uh, see, that's how I know you're a mini break listener, my friend. You really do know where my shticks are. Um, yeah, this team's really good. I don't know how else to say it without dropping an F-bomb to end the show. And so this team wins the national championship. Absolutely no one should be surprised. Jay is picking them to get the job done. I have them as my NCAA finalist, but... Buckle up, folks. It's going to be an amazing 2023 college tennis season. With that said, only two podcasts left to go here as we preview our preseason top 10. Both of them going to come in the 2023 new year. So, Jay, my final question to you, as we reflect on 2022 in college tennis, it was a good year, right, for the sport. I feel like things are heading in a good direction, big picture, as we look at college tennis. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Yeah, how much time do we have? Should we leave that aside? Is that a separate pod? (laughs) Uh, That's definitely a separate pod. But I will say two things. Uh, If you want to learn more about the storylines of 2022, the ITA released their top 10 features, um, each with their own article. So they they go through all the top storylines from 2022. That was really well done by the ITA. Also, shout out to the ITA. Finding stats. We've talked about this being in limbo land a lot of time. I found a lot of these stats on the ITA website. Go to the team section, player profile. They have the 2023 fall stats in a lot of places where the school website does not. So that was very helpful. So I'll punt on the 2022 of it all because that could go in a lot of different directions. (laughs) But for the key storylines, the ITA has you covered. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And again, you know who else has you covered? The No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, where, of course, I know you and Ethan, as I alluded to earlier, looked for things like who are the next NC States? Who are the next Oklahomas of the world? These programs on the rise. So, of course, be on the lookout for that content. Be on the lookout for more content here as we rock and roll into 2023. You know what's certainly on the rise, though, Jay? One of the best decisions we made here at Crack Rackets in 2021-2022, adding you to our team. It's just, again, I think our coverage has has immeasurably improved. Simply, we get 
the simple fact is we get to do more coverage now because you are a part of our team. We're able to focus on the women's just as much as we are on the men's, which is something we always hope to do something early on. A young listener by the name of John J. Parsons hoped to hold us accountable in doing. And I said, I'm down, but I need some help, my friend. Will you join me? And you immediately said challenge accepted. And, you know, our first year is in the books, my friend. I appreciate our our first full year is in the books, I should say. True. Yeah. yeah. We're in a year and a half, but this yeah. is 2022 was the first year from January on. We were um, humming. I'll tell you this. The longest relationships I've had in my life, Chris Halliors, who's been my podcast partner now for about four years. I think you're a year and a half. Ask my mom and dad. Those are my longest relationships, my friend. So <laughs> shout out to the two of you as always. And speaking of which, you know who I've been going steady with for five years now? Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of it at any ro- to do yeah, day. The rock day. of it all. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just, yeah. I so, uh, Someone was asking me, how long will you live in Indianapolis? And my answer is as long as super producer Daniel Westoff will tolerate my nonsense so was that me asking you that on the no ad no problem podcast where i interview you see what i did there see what i did there that's called a subtle plug folks everyone can go listen to that show right now but with all of that said any final thoughts jay you ready to wrap today's show i'm wrapping today's show and we're turning the page on the new year and our top two teams absolutely well then with that in mind your number three preseason team jay's pick to win the 2023 ncaa championship the NC State Wolfpack. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, the phenomenal John J. Parsons, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast that's Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. I'm running out of ways to speak English, Jay. Clearly, three hours is my time limit. But with that said, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Happy New Year, everyone. 